Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Six seconds to go. Comes in the Tucker. Ewing sets a screen. The shot is off. Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Stricken Roll. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, and this is episode 12. I am joined by friend of all the pods, the Strickland video clip master himself. You know him as at FrankBarrett119 on Twitter. His name is Jeffrey Rasmussen. Jeffrey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, always excited to be on here and talk some Knicks with you, even even in the off season. So, yeah, just excited to go. Yeah, um, look, it's uh, it's the off season, so it's been great watching playoff basketball and um, just being able to like be really critical of everybody else other than the Knicks. Um, so that's been fun. I've been enjoying that. Um, but before we get started, I do have to make an announcement that Strickland has Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's a number of tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland every Friday. It also gets you access to the, the mailbag that I do every other week with Jeremy and Drew. Furthermore, you get access to the Strickland Discord, where we are talking Knicks and basketball and many other things at all times. Uh, there's a further tier, the $9 tier, that gets you access to this pod right here, Strickland Roll, my solo pod. If you want to listen to me yell and rant and rave about the Knicks even more, furthermore, you get excellent and timely weekly articles by the wonderful Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and a $100 tier. Those come with additional benefits like live watch parties, listening on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast with yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, your support is appreciated. None of this would be possible without you. So, without further ado, um, look, I, I think it's impossible, and I want to avoid talking about Tibbs as much as possible because I think I've just we've t- talked about Tibbs endlessly. That conversation has been done. I think I've made my opinion on him very clear. The reality is, in all likelihood, he's going to be back. So it is what it is. Uh, the other major talking point I think of the season was Julius Randle, uh, who, look, let's just be honest, I think he had a terrible season. And I'll be I'll be even more honest. I've been re-watching games uh, since the season ended, just kind of bouncing around the season, not trying to... 
I just want to like bounce around instead of watching them sequentially because I kind of want to get an idea of like, you know, like uh, as an example, I watched a game from early in the season uh, where they're playing the Rockets. And then I watched a game from closer to the end of the season where they were playing, um, I think it was the Charlotte game that they won. And just like watching those separately, you can just see like how much better quickly and Toppin were specifically from the start of the season to the end. And I thought they were good in the beginning, but they were more fitting in as cogs um, and playing off of others. Whereas towards the end of the season, you saw growth in terms of them as really driving the team um, and dictating how the team played when they were on the floor. So that was really cool. But the reason I like to do that is just, you just kind of get an idea of like how guys played throughout um, without really getting lost too much in like the progression, I guess is maybe the best way to put it. I'm not sure. Anyway, the point is, as I've been rewatching these games, it is unreal how, as other guys play fluctuates, Randall stays the same, and that's not a compliment. I, I don't know, maybe, I think some of this was definitely like me trying to talk myself into, I was making excuses for him, but it is crazy to me to watch how awful he was all year on defense. Like, could not have cared less. Um, it, it's unreal. And I just, it, it's like, it, it, it really drives it home even more on rewatch. And as I'm bouncing around, because you just see, like, this was a constant no matter what was going on in the season. And I think that's what, like, bouncing around in the season and watching these games non-sequentially makes clear is, like, other guys fluctuate in their play. And you see, like, there were periods where R.J. Barrett was terrible, and then there were periods where he looks really good. And... That, that goes on both ends of the floor. There were periods where R.J. Barrett was terrible on defense, and there were periods where he was really good. With, with Randall, he was terrible on defense the entire year. The entire season, he was awful. And on top of that, obviously, we know his offensive inefficiencies. But it's the effort and the defense that, to me, really defined how bad of a season he had, more so than the offensive inefficiencies, which seemed to almost build upon themselves. Um, I just, I don't even know where to start, but like, I, I guess, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Just specifically, like, do you feel that's accurate or do you think that, you know, there were periods of like Randall playing well on defense and there was more stuff going on than just him, you know, with the Kemba thing and all that kind of stuff. Um, there was a like two week stretch around right before the all-star break when I when thought ran fast. Yeah. When he was playing faster and he still wasn't like a good defender. I mean, he's never really going to be like, even last season, I think we probably overrated his defense. And I think it would be interesting to go back and watch some of those games. But I think the difference between last season, that stretch of games and the rest of the games that you're talking about is there's a demonstrable difference in effort. And, I mean, as you know, like, you know, for Strickland, I went back and watched most of the games and clipped them. And last season, you saw him, you know, you saw him hedging, you saw him protecting the rim, you saw him making rotations, and he wasn't close to perfect, but he didn't need to be on that team. We needed him to be the driving force on offense because, we really didn't have a lot of talent, and he stepped up big time. So, I, I mean, 
a weird comparison I would make would be Iverson on the uh, 016ers in the sense of, you know, I mean, you probably remember this, but back then Iverson averaged like three steals a game and everybody was like, oh, Iverson's this great defender. And he wasn't actually like a good defender, but they didn't need him to be. Um, they just needed him to be competent and they needed him to carry the offense to like league average efficiency so that the defense could shine. And that's sort of what the 2020-2021 Knicks were. Um, and I think Randall is kind of a symbol for what went wrong in the 2021-2022 season because we actually did have the talent not to win a championship or to do anything meaningful, but definitely to do more than we did. And a big part of it was Randall adjusting his role. Now, we can we can argue about how fair that is, how fair it is to say to a guy who was second-team All-NBA and carried the team to its first postseason berth in eight years or whatever and say, look, that was great, but we need you to wildly adjust your profile and role on this team. But the fact of the matter is we... We needed him to do that because we were a more talented team, and we were a more we were, we were a team built to function more as a team rather than you know a bunch of Randall isos and Randall carrying the load, and that actually uh, was necessary on both ends because if he's going to take a step back on offense, that leaves more room for him to do more on defense, and he actually I, I think it was normal to expect his efficiency to take a step back uh, offensively because, I mean, we talked about that in the preseason. We were like, eh, he's never going to shoot like that again. And a guy like him, you know, he likes the ball in his hands. So this is going to be a learning curve for him. But the way it impacted his defense almost the entire season was palpable and it was noticeable. And yeah, you're, I, you're spot on. That was a very long way of saying, I, I think you're exactly right. Yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, with regard to him adjusting his role, I think what really and this really does stand out um, when you go back and watch games from earlier in the season. He didn't really seem very interested in adjusting his role and adjusting how he was playing to anybody else. Um, and earlier in the season, you know, I, this is another thing that is kind of drive, driving home, uh, being driven home rather when I'm watching these games is. I was of the opinion that part of the okay. reason, part of the reason um, that Randall was kind of taking on this, playing the way he was, is that Kemba wasn't doing anything. And to be clear, Kemba was really not doing anything. He was just terrible. But they're also, like, you can just watch possessions where Kemba comes up, him and Randall run pick and roll, but Randall's not running that. He, he's not running a pick and roll. He's running a screen to maybe draw a switch. But really, he's just trying to set the screen and then roll to like the elbow area and stand there with his hand out. With his hand up, right? Um, or just he pops out to the three-point line and waits for Kemba to swing it back to him. There was just no effort. Like There was no effort to try to make this thing work. And, and to, to be quite clear, I don't think it was going to work because I think Kemba was just... I mean, we saw it, right? We all saw it. Forgetting how Randall played, Kemba just did not have it, and his defense fell off a cliff, and it was just terrible. Um, but, like, there's just no effort to do it. And, you know, I think it's actually very noticeable 
when you see somebody like Evan, who I'm not super fond of. I don't think he's like an amazing player. He's a really good shooter, but he also has some of the most bizarre stretches of terrible shooting. Um, but he's a really good shooter. He's a good player. And that's it. Like, you know, I don't, I'm not beholden to him. I personally would prefer that we trade him instead of Alec Burks. But like, I know for a variety of reasons, that's unlikely. Um, but if you just look at like how he had to make an adjustment and he made that adjustment, right? Like he just figured out, okay, this is what Randall's going to do. I figured out how to play off of that. And that's just the reality of the situation, right? Like forgetting, I don't think he was happy about it. I think he made many comments throughout the season that make it very clear he wasn't pleased about that, that adjustment he was having to make. And probably the, the nature of the adjustment felt very one way, right? Um, there was no like give and take. It was just like, this is what I'm going to do. Me, Julius Randall, and you have to figure it out off of that. <clears throat> and, you know, we can sit here and say Tibbs needed to hold him accountable and all these things. And that's, that's all true. But at the end of the day, like, it's on Julius. Like, Julius did not make those efforts. And, and I think, like, there's enough evidence of the things Tibbs said after so many games this year about, like, Julius plays better than he plays with pace. You know, when Julius sprays the ball out when he like you know he was saying so many things like he would he even has said like oh yeah you know julius had like he more or less has said julius has to understand even if he doesn't shoot well there are things he can do to help us win games and i don't know yes i do think that he could have held him more accountable he could have used him differently in different lineups and all those things could have led to a more effective randall but even the type like even that there's no way that he could have, as a coach, put him in positions where Randall was going to be as good as you would hope or expect him to be. You know, like, there's just no way you can get him to stop playing like an asshole. And, like, what is he going to do at a certain point? And I have some sympathy for him there because, again, just watching these games again, like, and this is not like, you know, I I, I haven't tweeted this play out. But there's like a play from that game at the Garden against the Rockets. Uh, you know, Burks has this huge th- fourth quarter. We kind of come back from a game that it looked like we were about to blow another really stupid game to another really bad team. Burks goes off in the fourth quarter. We go up five, okay? And this is like two minutes left in the game, right? This is like as important as it could be, right? Forget the rest of the game. This Just lock in here and you can close this out. Julius, they run a pick and roll, and it's clear that they're supposed to switch. And Julius just plays like the most nonchalant, you know, uh, laissez-faire uh, type of drop coverage, and just like drops with Christian Wood as he's rolling, even though Burks is already going with him, and just like watches Gordon line up a three, never makes any attempt to run out at him, never moves, literally does not move to. You know, sometimes you can fuck up a coverage, but you make that effort, even if it's a lost cause, to try to get back out to the guy. No, none of that. Just stares at him. Just stares at him. He missed the shot. Okay, so whatever. And then there was another possession almost right after that where he basically does the same thing. And Gordon, he doesn't pull the trigger on a three, so Randall has time to get back out. But then as soon as he gets back out, he just kind of like is so flat-footed, Gordon blows by him. And Noel has to come over, and we leave a wide-open corner shooter, Jay Shantae, who's a terrible shooter. So luckily he misses it. But, like, this is the kind of shit I'm saying. 
what is what can Tibbs realistically do? Because we can like again, we can sit here and say he should hold him accountable. He should do all these things. He should bench him. Benching him is not realistic. I'm sorry, like it's just not a realistic option for Tibbs, right? Like I don't know what to tell you if you think that that was something you should do. It was never going to happen. The guy got paid what four years, 106 million. I know the actual thing says 117. Guys, it's four years, 106 million. Trust me. Um, but like he he was presented as kind of like the face of this Leon Rose led rebuild, whatever, right? And it was like this huge thing when they resigned him. So there's a lot of like it's not realistic to expect him to bench him. At some point, it has to come from Randall, the personal accountability, or you need somebody in the locker room who has the stature, who has the gravitas to to hold him accountable to challenge him because coaches can't there's a different level of accountability that coaches provide versus your peers right i think uh, you know like you see this the warriors all the time where draymond will like like draymond will just get after guys right for like what are you doing fucking cut fucking rotate out to this guy whatever it is but you see that with him and i'm not saying it's realistic to expect somebody on our team to be Draymond. But the point is like, if your best guy, your best player, your supposed franchise player needs that to like get going and, and you don't have it. And then on top, and then, you know, I just, at some point it has to be personal accountability and he just didn't have any of it this year. And you could see it. You, you heard it in his post games, right? And I've mentioned this before, but you can go through, literally go through every single post game if you want it. You could do this. You could go through every single post-game press conference that Randall had. And anytime he was asked a question about his own struggles this year, he would always turn it into a collective answer. He would always turn it into like, we got to do better. We got to do this. We got to play harder on defense, which is laughable, by the way, that he would say that. Uh, you know, we got to play better on offense. We got to shoot better. We got to have better. Like, it was always a we thing. And that just shows me what he thought. He did. He at no point in the season looked at himself in the mirror, looked internally, and was like, "This is like I need to be better." No, no. It was always about we, and I feel very strongly that throughout the season he wanted to blame everything else and everybody else around him for why his shit, why he was terrible this year. It was never about him in his in his mind. No, it's not about me. Everybody else is fucking up, and I'm just trying to do the best I can. And I just, I'm, for me personally, I'm over it. But like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I said a lot there, so I'm just going to let you respond however you want to respond to that. Um, the one thing I would push back on is that um, the idea that Randall didn't want it to work the entire season. Um, I actually think that if you go back and watch um, the first it's not many, so this isn't like some super defense of him, but, you know, the first 5, 10, 15 games, he almost seems passive, but in a way where it seems like he's trying to enable his new teammates. Even, I know Fournier was really misused early in the season, but if you go back and watch those, they really, really tried to do those dribble handoffs together a lot, and... His version of, like, enabling Kemba was just sort of standing out of the way and letting Kemba have on-ball touches. Um, 
because for whatever reason, he doesn't see himself as like a true pick-and-roll man, which is kind of his downfall. He's just one of those guys, apparently, who's... there. There's a really big tier of these guys, but he's he falls in it. He's one of those guys that he's not good enough to be a primary engine, but that is how he's optimized. So having him sort of puts you in this purgatory where... You know, he's at his best when he's doing one thing, but the team can never be good enough. And then if he is trying, if you try and use him in a way where you have better teammates, he's not at his best and he's actually hurting you. Um, DeRozan's kind of another guy like this. Like, I know he just had an all-NBA season, yada, yada. But, I mean, a DeMar DeRozan team is just forever going to be capped because he's at his best when the ball's in his hands and he's shooting a bunch of mid-range shots and... Even at really, really good efficiency, a DeMar DeRozan-led team will never be good enough to... Will probably never be good enough to do anything. Um, and they Randall kind of said... yesterday. Yeah, they, no, they did. Um, and I, I'm choosing my words carefully, because like now they're going to like go title or something, and I'm going to look yeah. like an idiot. But um, but back to Randall. I, I actually think I actually think he tried uh, for a little bit, for, for not long enough. But I do think he decided very early in the season... I don't like playing with Kemba. This isn't working. And there's a game we lost to the Pelicans at home. I forget when that was, but it was like... I that, think was that was yeah, January. Yeah, yeah, J- January sounds right. That was... Oh my god, that was... Both of him and Kemba were just... Oof. Yeah, I, I, I remember... I remember that being a turning point for me. Not, not when he stopped, uh, like or not when he stopped caring about Kemba, because I think it happened much earlier. But I remember that was a turning point for me in terms of him just being insalvageable. Because, I mean, he just... I remember he got multiple miss... He got got the ball with Alvarado on him multiple times and just, like, couldn't be bothered to even try. And it was just so disgusting. And I just... I hated it. I hated his... Um, defense of it after the game, like it, like you said, like him being like, yeah, well, the team's got to be better, yada, yada. He never took personal responsibility, but I'm sort of all over the place here. But I do think he tried at the beginning, and I think he tried to get the teammates going, and I just think he bailed very early. He was just like, well, I, I, I just don't think he expected to struggle as much as he did, especially shooting. Like, because who would? These guys are all-world athletes, they have an ego. Even if, you know, the logic says his shooting's going to regress, there's no way you can convince a guy like Julius Randle, like, hey, man, you're not actually that good a shooter. Like, that's not a real, realistic conversation to have. So I bet in his mind, he going into this season, he was like, all right, I'm going to get Kemba, I'm going to get Evan going, and my stuff, even if I struggle, I'll figure it out because I'm that good. And he just never figured it out. And I think he reached a point where he was like, okay, I, 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 I can't do this anymore. This has to go back to being about me. And that just created this huge disconnect and gap between what the team was trying to do and what Randall was trying to do. And the result was what you were saying the rest of the season, where he just frankly played like an asshole. Um, and he just played really selfish on both ends of the floor, and he it just wasn't good. It wasn't, and I, I agree with you. I'm I'm just sick of it, and 
I, I would be shocked if the team didn't make some effort to move on from him. But, I mean, I think the stuff at the Jazz game is kind of telling, don't you think? Like, like they, they all went to the Jazz game together, didn't they? So The NHL season has been packed with dirty dangles, hat tricks, and big wins. As the action rolls on, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has your shot to win big two. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's right. A bump in the win column for your team means free bets for you. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you still have a shot to light the lamp. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Fantasy Hockey Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot and millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $1 on any NHL team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. 21 plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details, which I'm going to read to you now, and I probably shouldn't have read that part. All right. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. That's in Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Wyoming. You can call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado or New Hampshire, 888-789-7777, or visit http ccpg.org slash chat. Uh, that's in Connecticut. 1-800-BETS-OFF, Iowa, 1-877-770-STOP, uh, and that, or text 7867 for LA, 877-8-HOPE-NY, or text HOPE-NY-467-369 in New York. Visit opgr.org. That's in Oregon. Call or text Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 for Tennessee or 1-888-532-3500 for Virginia. Must be 21 plus or 18 and over in New Hampshire and Wyoming. Physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Michigan, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See, see HTTP DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Berman had this. A lot of guys have, I think Begley mentioned it yesterday too, where it was not really clear if they had talked to Randall and were like there together or if, you know, he's from Dallas. There were a lot of people at that game, execs, players. It's not, it's not a huge deal. Like to be completely honest, like, Guys go to playoff games. You know, it's not like it's normal. Um, and don't you, don't you don't you think if it if it was like totally random and it was like that awkward thing where Randall was at the game completely separate from the team? I feel like that would have been a story. I don't know that that I mean, could be uh, that could be. I, I just I also like I don't think it hurts even if you want to trade him to like make it seem like everything is great and you guys are best friends. Yeah, that's um, definitely true. And, and I also, like, look, like, they might want to trade him. He might want to leave New York. That doesn't mean their relationship is bad, right? Like, on a personal level, right? Professionally, it might be a point where both parties have realized we're better off without each other or, you know, whatever that is. But on a personal level, I don't think that that means that they have to have an adversarial relationship. And in some ways, 
it's more productive to not have an adversarial relationship. Um, and, you know, like a guy like Wes, Wes has known Julius since he was in high school. You know, he's known Wes forever. Wes and Julius go way back. So that relationship is deeper than just like, I'm an executive for the New York Knicks and you're a player on the Knicks. Like that's a different relationship they have. You know, Julius has talked about how when he was in a really shitty place in New York initially um, during his first year here, Leon and Wes came and like met with him and kind of asked him what the fuck is going on. What do you need? Like they had a, it's, it was a, it's a relationship that goes beyond the professional aspect of sports. So personally, like maybe this is me just being a homer about it. I, I didn't, I wasn't that concerned about it. I don't think it tells us anything. Um, you know, like, so do you, know- do you, do you, do you still think that the chances <laughs> that both Tibbs and Randall are back next season are very low? I mean, we know for sure that Tibbs is going to be back almost certainly. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I would be, I'll put it, I, I would be surprised if, if they are not making a very concerted effort to move Randall this off season. Maybe there's just no market for him, and we'll talk about that a little bit down the line. But I would be very surprised if they're not actively soliciting offers, looking for offers, hearing teams out if they're interested. Um, I don't think that relationship is what it was. Um, and just to you know get back to the basketball side of it real quick before we go on, I, yeah, like. I mean, I, I, like he did try to make it work early in the season, but it's not like his effort in doing so is not, it's, it's very, very basic, right? It's more like, well, I'll just get out of your way and stand in the corner and spot up or like spot up outside. That's his, that was his effort of like giving Kemba room to operate, but there was no real attempt at like, how can we work together to, I mean, as an extreme example, you watch how, like, Steph and Draymond play off each other, right? Like, they are constantly moving and playing off of each other's movements and, and abilities, and it accentuates each other's games to, like, the highest degree, right? Like, those two have a relationship on the court that is, quite frankly, I, I, I feel pretty comfortable saying this, I think it's, like, the most complimentary, naturally elevating like basketball relationship I've ever watched two guys have. Like it's Yeah, we what, we've never we've never seen anything like it before. Um, it's like telepathically I don't even know I don't even know if they speak. Like they just know instinctively what the other one is doing and they just have these skill sets that amazingly complement each other. Now for most players you have to work at that type of thing, right? Like LeBron and Wade, their first year in Miami, it was very much like your turn, my turn. That's it. Like there was no, so. there was no like interplay off each other, um, except for and, except for in transition. But that's just like right. natural. That's just right, like right. Two, two natural hoopers, right? And so, like, I mean, Wade has talked about this. Where like after that first season, he basically went to LeBron and, and told them, like, "Look, dude, you're the best player on the team. Like." Like, you need to just run this shit and I'll figure out how to play off of you, right? And that obviously took them to a higher level. They win two championships, go to a third uh, finals after that too. Um, but, like... Yeah, that, that's, one of, that's one of the most underrated things ever, in my opinion. Like, to, have the hu- to, to be Dwayne Wade and to have the humility to do that 
And he didn't just like, and he didn't do it in a natural way. It's not like he became an all-world shooter, but he he became an all-world cutter. And if you watch the specifically second and third year Heat, there's there's him going backdoor and him finding baseline cuts where LeBron finds him. That that increased so much, and that and then Bosch just figuring out how to become a blitzing maniac in the pick and roll. Uh, and and being able to play small ball center, like obviously LeBron reaching probably the peak of his powers is always going to get the most credit. But those two basically being like, okay, this is one of the great players of all time. How do we complement that? And figuring out like role player things to do as two all star players, Dwayne Wade being a Hall of Famer, it's his city. That's a really really just cool thing like humble i don't know i've always been mighty impressed by that yeah no no it it was it was for sure um it was just but yeah just to get back to it like you like most team most guys have to work at that relationship like having that understanding together on the floor it it doesn't just happen like you don't just even if they have complementary skill sets like it's it's very often that you have to work at that and I just feel like that work never – it never came from Julius. It was like at a very, very rudimentary level, he tried. But like within – I would honestly say within like the first five, ten games, he was like, you know what? Kemba doesn't have it. I'm not really that interested in trying to do their shit anymore. And and he just did his own thing. Um, and like, again, you can blame Tibbs for not holding him accountable and all that kind of stuff. But at some point – that's got to come from yourself. That's got to come from you internally. Um, and and so, look, like we can switch gears here. I know for a little while you were like pro, let's try to make this work with Julius, uh, even though he's had a terrible season. So I guess before we go into like trading him and all those kind of things, if you were to make the argument for why the Knicks should not trade Julius and give him another chance, what – what would it be? Because one of the main issues for me is the things that he was really good at and made him a super efficient player before New York. Uh, he was like a 62 shooting guy, right, for a few seasons. Um, and definitely in New Orleans the year before he got to New York. Is he played a very rim-running, bruising, interior-scoring-oriented interior style of offensive play? Um, he also played at the five a bit more. And then obviously New Orleans, even though when he even when he played at the four, he did play with Anthony Davis, who could spread the floor out a, a bit. Um, but like, you know, what what would be your kind of if you're in the Knicks front office and you're somebody who thinks they shouldn't just do, like they shouldn't be desperate to move off Randall and want to give him another chance? What would your argument be? Um. Okay, so before I get to that, I just want to be clear. My stance was. If I at the time it was if I had to choose between Randall and Tibbs, I would choose Randall because I just think I thought Tibbs' season was so bad and so insalvageable that I viewed Randall as the lesser of two evils. But with Tibbs, I, I don't I don't think you can keep Randall. Um, I guess the argument I would make would be that. Berman said a, f- a week or two ago that after the final, you know, 10, 20 games of the season, 
Thibodeau looked himself in the mirror and said, I regret not playing the young guys more. If that's true, and that's a big if because, you know, we know Tibbs, we know, you know, plenty of what he said before is very hollow, but whatever. If that's true, then a world exists where Randall can come back next year and him and Obi can share the floor. And we always talk about Obi and Randall sharing the floor from the perspective of Obi seeing more minutes. And, like, obviously that's a huge part of it because his minutes total in his first two seasons has, even amidst his struggles, has just been pathetic. Like, no other franchise would have done this. It's just so obvious watching him how he uh, enables the team. I mean, let's just let's talk about what you were just talking about with Randall. How Randall's version of making his teammates better is either one, having a crazy high usage and making good passes, or two, the opposite and just standing in the corner and letting them do their own thing. Well, Obi is exactly the opposite. Whether he's playing, whether he's shooting good, shooting bad, Obi is always looking to run into a dribble handoff, to set a screen, to hustle, to, you know, I'm not saying he's a perfect player, but from a team complement standpoint, Obi has always been trying his absolute hardest to be a positive and to to uh, compliment his teammates. And so, again, getting back to the original point, we always talk about Obi playing with Randall as this will make the team better and this will you know get Obi more minutes. But we never talk about how it could potentially help Randall because what Obi, especially the Obi who ended the season, who I mean, I'm not going to say he was a sharpshooter, but he was a very confident shooter. Um, you know, he was shooting freaking yeah, step that, backs. That's, that, that's, that's something, I'm telling you, when you rewatch these games, if you go back and watch it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, it's not just about making shots. It's, I mean, obviously, making shots helps a lot. Um, but, like, he is making shots. He was making more threes at the end of the year because he was playing with way more confidence. I mean, and he's talked about this, obviously, when you're not worried about Am I going to get pulled if I miss a shot or two shots? Like, it makes mm-hmm. a palpable difference. But, like, even otherwise, you could just tell – you can just see the difference. He's, like, oozing confidence at the end of the year. Whereas at the start of the season – not even not at the start, actually. At the start, he was really confident. But I would say, like, in that within, like, that first that, – that middle portion of the season, he was kind of, like, you know, December, January. He's – you could see it. Like, he's kind of – Ooh, I'm just trying to make the right play instead of just playing kind of thing. For sure. Uh, there's a, uh, in my opinion, there's a, a mechanic, a mechanical improvement as well. If you watch his, uh, his threes late in the season, he kicks his legs out a little bit more. Um, and his, uh, his shooting coach has talked about that that was intentional and it helps, it helps his, uh, his motion and his accuracy. Um, but I agree with you. I actually, um, on the Strickland account, I mean, it, like, in so many of the threads, any time Obi made a three, I would I would clip it in the game thread, and I would say, you know, I know everyone's selling his stock, I know he's shooting 20% from three, but a guy like Obi, who has spent his whole life in the rhythm of the game and having a feel for the game, asked to come out there, play 15 minutes a night, and just shoot a three once every five minutes... It's not surprising to me that he's inefficient, and if we get him in rhythm and in the flow of the game, 
I'll buy all the OB shooting stock. And I got a ton of pushback for that. So, I mean, I know they were largely meaningless games, but I felt a little vindicated seeing his shooting confidence increase. Um, but where I was going with that is I really think Obi can help Randall. Um, I, I don't think, I, I don't think uh, even in Randall's, you know, all NBA season, I don't think we've done everything we can, we can do to alleviate him and to enhance him. And you brought up the new Orleans season. A big part of that was operating in space. And we've seen Randall, take the ball on the roll, set a good screen, roll, and get a layup out of it. We've seen it happen. It's rare, but we've seen it happen. And when has that happened? It's happened when the floor is spaced. And I think that if you have him and Obi out there alternating as screen setters, it sort of it sort of gives Randall the best of both worlds because it gets him more into that secondary action as a screener but Obi also is a willing, and we need to use him as a screener more himself, and so that allows Randall to sort of play off ball and be that catch and go guy, or to you know go to work, and he'd be doing so in more space because Obi can also space the floor. So my argument for you know if we're keeping Randall, if you were like, well, why can this work? Why can it be different? It would be entirely based on using Randall in lineups where he can succeed more because you alluded to this earlier when you were talking. I think there's no hope of Randall drastically changing his profile. If he came out next year and played like New Orleans Randall, I'd be absolutely shocked. And it's one of the reasons I'm very, not scared, but I'm like already annoyed about trading him because if we traded him, let's just say hypothetically, I don't think it can happen, but let's just say we traded him to the Mavericks. There's such a realistic chance of him playing with Luka and being a fine second second banana and buying into playing a role that he wouldn't play for the Knicks. And the narrative would just be, oh, oh, oh Knicks, like, same old Knicks, yada yada. But, like, he's just not going to do that for the Knicks. And so that wouldn't be like jokes on the Knicks. That would just be Randall buying into a role that I don't think he will buy into on, on our team. So in my opinion, any chance of him succeeding on the Knicks is entirely lineup based. It's getting him in faster lineups, i.e. playing with quick, quickly more, which, you know, shocker, he won his quickly minutes last season. Um, and two, playing in smaller lineups, and that is playing with Obi, that's playing with Cam or RJ at the four. Um, I forget who I talked about this with recently, but going small doesn't have to mean just, you know, Obi or Randall at the center. It can mean Cam or RJ at the four, you know? Um, so, and I know with Randall, that would be Randall at the five, but I'm just saying that my overall point here is Tibbs has to extend his reach on lineup combinations and rotation staggering, and if we keep Randall, I think his path to success is playing in a bunch of different fast, smaller lineups. I'm sorry, I know I said the same thing a few times there, but yeah, that's my point.
And the other thing is that, like, R Randall doesn't need to. I, I guess. I guess if I was going to ex ex expand on that a little bit from a uh, from a profile standpoint, um, Randall doesn't need to uh, have the ball in his hands as much. And so I guess part of him succeeding next season, I'm not going to, I, I believe what I just said about, you know, he's never going to just turn into a pure roller and like just run around setting screens like he's Obi. But I do think that we saw enough last season where Tibbs can say, uh, T Tibbs can say like, look, what we did last season didn't work, and we need to find a way, fi find a middle ground for where you're, you know, not isoing as much, but you're still carrying the usage that you think you want. So, I mean, this is really flimsy at best. I I'm not sure it can work for <laughs> Randall in New York, but, um... I just think that, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. It, I'm not sure it can work for him in New York, and I, I think the best avenue is to trade him. Um, but I, 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 I think that for it, for, if it was going to work, you just need, um, you, you just need very specific things, which is not something you want. You, you just need... You need someone who can get him the ball. You need someone who can move fast. You need... You know... You, you need... Uh, well, you need a rim protector, but you also need space. So what does that mean? 